and all Jerusalem with him, gathering together all of the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. And hearing the king, they went their way. And the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. We'll stop there. Did you notice in verse 11, this is just a side note, I was telling my son Jonathan about this, and I think I, he had an epiphany. I said, you notice where the Magi went? They're not in the stable. They're in an actual house. And he's looking at me like, like the nativity scenes, all wrong that we have. Have you guys noticed that before? Anybody? They're in a house. It's a different time. But anyways, I just thought that I was reading. So, sorry for that side note there. So let's go back to the very beginning and look at the Magi and the epiphany of the Magi. Starting at the very beginning in verse 1, we see that the Magi, it says, are men from the east. So where did they come from and who were they? Well, the Magi were either from Chaldea, which would be like modern day Iraq, or from the Medo-Persia region, which would be Iran, modern day Iran. So they're probably from that area, east of Israel, east of Jerusalem, and nobody really knows, so it's all speculation. And I think part of the reason Matthew doesn't describe the exact details of a lot of these things is because that's not the main focus of the story. The main focus is Jesus Christ. But nevertheless, people speculate where they may have been from to get a better understanding of what's going on. And Magi, by the way, were probably a priestly class, a religious class. And they were deeply interested, we know from studying history, in religion and specifically the study of astrology or the stars. And how they coincided with human events. So if they saw something in the sky, it might speak to them or tell them they might think, I should say. They thought it would say that some big event was happening. And obviously in our story this morning... They see this thing as a big event of a king being born. So that's, who, that's where the Magi were from. That's who they are. So what exactly did they see, these wise men from the east who studied astrology? Well, it says in the text that they saw a star, right? In verse 2 it says, For we have seen, or we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And again, we are not told in the text the nature of this star, So anything more, again, is just pure speculation. All we know is that God spoke to the Magi, 
these students of the skies in a language that they would understand, which is interesting to think about. Because similarly, doesn't God speak to people today or give them their epiphany about him in a language that they would understand? If you think about what brought you to the Lord, if you're a believer, every one of us has a different story. Every one of us had that epiphany of who God was in a different way in our life, different situations we were going through. God spoke to us where we were at in a language that we would understand. And it might not be the same for somebody else, but it meant something to us. And I think that should be noted that God spoke to these magi in a language that they would understand to get their attention. So they saw a star in the east. So moving on in the text here. So the Magi have this epiphany. They see a star in the east. And what does the star represent to them? We're told that they said, we saw his star. And they're looking for somebody who is king of the Jews. So it was a star that signified something specific to them. It signified the birth of the king of the Jews. And so the question might be, well, how did they know that? How did men from the east, who were probably not Jewish at all, How would they know that there's a king coming that's born king of the Jews? How did they know this meaning? How did they attach the star to the birth of someone spectacular as Jesus? And again, we're not told for the same reason. So there's a lot of speculation of how would these guys even know that? How would they know that that star that they see that certain time of the year or that night signifies to them that a king is born, and specifically the king of the Jews. Well, again, if you think about where they're from, and you think about there may have been Jewish communities in Babylon, right, in modern-day Iraq. If you remember going through the Old Testament story, where does Israel get exiled to? To Babylon. And for 70 years they were in that area, and some even stayed behind even after that. So it very well could be that these men heard of prophecies and stories from the Jewish communities, read the Jewish writings, and have some familiarity with the knowledge of a king that was coming, that was to be the Messiah. If you think about it, even in our culture, don't people who don't go to church, who are not believers, have some understanding of Christian doctrine? Obviously, Christmas. They, some people understand what Christmas is, was originally meant to be same thing with Easter, or if you or if somebody if you tell somebody, hey, Armageddon is coming, they understand. Even the news will say it's like you know an Armageddon. They understand that it's a big battle. Whether or not that's rightly interpreting scripture, they still say that they understand it. Or if they say, oh, that guy's the Antichrist, which is a biblical term, biblical theology. Again, our culture understands what you what you're saying. Or if they're saying, hey, a mark of the beast, our culture's aware of these types of things. So there's, it's not shocking that these magi from the east who may have had a religious community of Jewish people in their society know about prophecy. And again, that's all speculation. And it's not the point of the text, but I think it's interesting to study and to understand. So the magi have this big epiphany, a star. In the sky signifies to them that a king of the Jews is born. So does it stop there or does it actually have an impact on their life? 
Well, let's look at the response now of the Magi and what they exactly do about this. Again, going back to the text, verse 1, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. So the first thing that we see is that they pursued the Lord. They didn't just stop with just looking at a star going, oh, hey, a king's born. They actually pursue that. They want to find out a little bit more. As a matter of fact, their whole world stopped at this epiphany, and they traveled pretty far. If they had lived, if it was Iraq, let's say, and they lived in Baghdad, according to modern-day Google Maps, it would take 11 days to travel by foot from Baghdad to Jerusalem. It may have taken longer. Who knows how big their caravan was. But even if it took that short amount of time, they invested in it. They spent time out of their day or out of their two weeks to go and see what was going on. To them, it was a big deal. They desired nothing more than to discover who this king was. So they carried on. They saw a great value in finding out who the king was. So the first response of the Magi is that they pursued the Lord. The second one is this. We'll skip down to verse 10. After speaking to Herod and finding out where he is, look at what verse 10 says. Actually, let's start at verse 9. And after hearing the king, they went their way. And the star, which they had seen in the east, went before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So they rejoice at finding the place. They see the star and they get happy because it leads them to where the Messiah was. So they're excited. Hey, we found it. Similar to you you, or myself, if we find something that we've been looking for, usually it's my keys or my wallet. I get excited about it because I've been searching for it. I'm asking my wife, hey, have you seen it? Has my little son moved it? I get excited over little things like that. Sorry. It's important to me. But think of something that you're looking forward to, a place that you go, somebody that you see when you finally get there, when they arrive, you're excited about it, you rejoice greatly. And that's exactly what happened here with the Magi of the East. They find Jesus, and they're, they're excited about it. So excited that verse 11 says, look at what it says. After coming to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and look at what they do. Not a normal response when you see a little baby. And they fell to the ground and worshipped him. They fell down and worshipped him. Imagine, or just picture this scene in your mind. These men from the east, we're not told how many. They come, they see this child. They see Mary and Joseph there as well. Their mom and dad are probably with them. And they fall down and worship the baby. Just think if you were Mary and Joseph, you're like, what are you guys doing? Because they still don't probably truly understand what is going on, even though they've been told. They fall down and worship him. They humble themselves before a little baby. That's the image. You know, if someone's going to bow down and worship, they're humbling themselves. They're submitting themselves to the object that they're worshiping. They recognized, in some sense, maybe a limited knowledge, who the baby was or how great he was. Again, they might not have understood everything about Jesus, but, they did, but what they did recognize and what they did understand is that they need to worship him. And so they did that. 
So their response again is they pursued the Lord, they rejoiced that they found him, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then fourthly, they do one more thing. Let's go back to verse 11. At the very end, after they worshipped him, it says this. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They opened their treasures, so things that they valued or things that were pretty expensive to them. And they had carried them on this trip. And they're giving it to the baby. So from their own personal treasure, something that was highly valuable, they open up and they're giving it to the baby. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Three things that have big significance to revealing who this child was. So that's the story. So obviously, we don't just listen to a story. We want to find application. And I think we could find a lot of application this morning. And the first one is this. Well, let me start with a question. Have you had your epiphany with the Lord? Has there come a point in your life where you just kind of get it? Like, I understand now who Jesus is. I know for a long time when I, I was, I think I was 17 or 18. That I was 18 when I could say I finally, the light clicked on in my life about who Jesus really was. There's a time when you just go to church, right? You're doing the church thing, at least in my life. And I was just going for a number of reasons, not for the right reason, and not even understanding the whole thing. You know, sometimes I would even, like, do I have to worship, man? I just want to hear the guy speak. I don't really care about the music. And now I'm, I'm like the first one praising God, see what God does with people. But I wasn't really into the music because I didn't understand it. I didn't understand the purpose of it. And then God finally got a hold of me after about a year of going to church and just clicked, like, Hey, it's not about, for me, it's not about going to church. It's more than that. That was my epiphany shortly after I graduated high school. So have you had your epiphany? Again, this is the question. I want to give you an example of a great epiphany in Scripture. Turn with me to John chapter 20, and we're going to look at verse 26 through 29. A very familiar story of a guy who gets a bum rap. His name is Thomas. He's the doubting Thomas. Has everybody heard of him? Again, a, something in our culture that everybody would use. Hey, you're a doubting Thomas. So he's a great example of an epiphany of that kind of like that aha moment in his life. If you remember, Thomas was one of the disciples. And he wasn't there when Jesus first appeared after the resurrection with the other disciples. But in the story that we're going to read right now, he finally is. As a matter of fact, he said, unless I see, you know, the holes, you know, he can put his, his fingers in the hole in, his, in Jesus' hands and in his side, I'm not going to believe that he resurrected. Well, he's in for a big surprise in this epiphany. So let's turn to John 20, starting in verse 26. So after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here with your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. And look at what Thomas says. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. 
Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. That was a big epiphany for Thomas. Jesus is no longer in the grave. He's resurrected. And what does Thomas say? My Lord and my God. He had that personal epiphany for himself. He was no longer somebody else's Lord, somebody else's God. It was personal for him. And so, again, have you had that in your own life? You know, when you're, you know, young coming to church, you know about God and you know about the Lord. And you can see your mom and dad and he's the Lord of your mom and dad. But each child needs to come to the realization that they need to say that about God. That Jesus is my Lord and he's my God. He's not somebody else's. And again, have you had that? Have you as an individual uttered those words to yourself? Can you say that Jesus is your Lord and your God? He's not just a God or a Lord out there. He's your personal one. I like what J.K. Rowling says about epiphanies. She's the author of Harry Potter, Harry Potter books. And she says this, there's nothing better when something comes and hits you and you think, yes, that's an epiphany. She She's saying that something hits her right in the face and she gets it. Nothing says that better to Thomas than Jesus standing before him saying, hey, put your finger in right here and in my side. And Thomas doesn't even need to do it. He just says, okay, I believe. You're my Lord and you're my God. And he falls down and worships him. So again, the application for us this morning is each and every one of you needs to understand, have you had an epiphany? Have you had that realization where Jesus Christ is your Lord and your God? And so how do you respond to that? Once you realize that, hey, Jesus is my Lord, he's my God, there should be a proper response to that. And so I'm going to give you four points of application. The first one is this. The Lord should become your primary pursuit and focus in life. Again, think of the Magi. When they saw this epiphany in the sky that the Lord was born, they didn't just leave it at that. Oh, cool, the Lord's born. No. Everything stopped in their life, and they went gung-ho and pursued after him until they found him. And so for each and every one of us this morning, if we've had that epiphany of God, if you really had a true epiphany, then the Lord should become the primary pursuit of your life. So what does that mean in everyday life? How do you pursue the Lord? It really means how you grow closer to God, that you pursue after him so that you can get closer to him. And there's really just a, there's not a whole bunch of ways to do that. There's some really simple ways. Number one, the first way is this. It's reading God's word. That's how you grow closer to him because that's how you learn about him. Think about people in your life that you know. Or that you want to know. The way that you get to know them better is what? Spending more time with them. Talking to them. Doing things with them. The same thing with our Lord. The way that we get to know our Lord, the first and primary way, is by reading his word. Because that's where we find out who he is and how he acts. And how he could communicate to us. So you need to read his word. And don't just read it to read it. Like, okay, I need to read a chapter a day and get through it and that's going to help me. It can. I'm not going to say it won't. But I think it's better to just slow down and read God's word with some intent. Be intent on learning something new when you read the word of God. And I'm just going to offer some suggestions in doing this. 
Take notes when you read. Just real life application. Take some notes. Jot some notes down as you read. Ask questions of the text. That's what I do when I'm preparing a message. Okay, who are these magi? Where did they come from? What was the significance of the star? Those are things that get you deeper into God's word. I would also say read a commentary on the section of scripture that you are studying or that you're reading through. Commentaries are written by people that have spent a little more time in God's word researching things about it. Now just be warned, this is their opinion. Commentaries are not as authoritative as scripture. It's somebody's opinion about the scripture. And they give you, you know, an argument about it. So I would say, when you're reading God's word, take notes, ask questions, read a commentary, read the section of scripture, a commentary on the section of scripture you are reading. Fourthly, I would say, when you want to get close to God, listen to sermons. You know that we live in a great age of technology. You could find sermons. Read a, or listen to a sermon about the section of scripture that you're studying so that you could understand a little bit more. That's how you can grow closer to God. You can also, obviously, we want to be praying to God. That helps us get closer to the Lord as well. And as I said, learn when you're reading, you're reading to learn. So learn about the Lord. Read a book about God, not just scripture. Grab another book that's specific to what you want to know about. If you've noticed the Bible, you can't just uh, say, I want to find the section in the Bible that talks about prayer. There's a bunch of sections that talk about prayer. But you can get a book that's just specifically tied to prayer and references scripture throughout it. That would be helpful as well. So these are just real ways that you can help yourself grow closer to the Lord, to, to get closer to him, to pursue after him. So not only read a book, listen to sermons as well. And then you also just worshiping God. How close do you feel to God when you're worshiping? I know I feel really close to the Lord when I'm worshiping him. You know, sing, sing of his praises. The music that you listen to should help you get closer to God as well. You know, the music that we listen to should really just be praising God. Does that mean you can't listen to secular music, meaning not religious music? Well, let me just tell you this. Does the secular music take your mind off of God and cause you to think about things that are against God? I remember when I first became a believer, and I may share this with you before, uh, was it the late 80s, like 89, 1990, early 90s, and I was heavily into rap music, specifically a, a genre called gangster rap Then I became Christian. So I would listen to it, and I would be like, okay, I'm just not going to say the cuss words in the music because there's a lot and as you could imagine I wasn't singing very much when I was listening to that music because it was all cuss words and then the things that they were singing about were things that were not very edifying they were not they were actually things that Jesus died for sins that Jesus died for so I began to realize you know this isn't good for me this is not putting me in a place to worship God it's actually making me think about things that aren't you know, aren't helping me grow. So when you're worshiping God, obviously you want to listen to music that helps you worship the Lord. So, again, how do we respond to this epiphany in our life? Number one, pursue after the Lord. Pursue, pursue after Him. Get closer to Him. Secondly, similar to what the Magi did, we should rejoice in God's presence. Rejoice in God's presence. When you spend time with the Lord in prayer and reading and meditating on His Word and in worship, does it cause you to rejoice? Are you excited about it? 
When you come to church, for example, do you get, are you excited that you come to church? Or is it like, oh, I have to go to church? Oh, I'd rather be watching the Chargers right now. You know. No, we come here, and again, it's not, it's come here because you're, hopefully you come to church too, because I want to worship the Lord. That's what, it's about that. It's not about being good and, you know, punching your time clock spiritually. It's like, I, I can't wait to get to church. Is that your feeling? Is that your thought? Do you rejoice in his presence? And again, it's not just about church. Wherever you are, you're always in the presence of God, if you think about it. Are you rejoicing in his presence? Are you rejoicing when you read his word? So again, this epiphany should cause us, again, the Lord should be our primary purpose, our primary focus, I'm sorry, pursuit in life, and we should rejoice in his presence. The third thing that we can do, and how we should respond, I should say, is to revere and worship him. Remember the Magi, when they came before the baby Jesus, what they do? They fell down, they bowed down, and worshiped him. So let me ask you that. When you come before the Lord in, in worship, or even in reverence, do you humbly accept, do you worship him? Do you revere him? Do you humbly accept him as king? When you think of Jesus, do you think he's my king? He's my Lord. And do you adore him? Now, I'm not saying you have to bow, you know, when you're worshiping, you need to be on your knees and face down on the ground. Because you could do that and not mean it, but your heart. In your heart, do you know that I've humbly accepted God as my king, and I put him before me and above me, and do I truly adore him and cherish him as the king? Again, that's something only you can answer for yourself. I can't answer that for anybody but for myself. But I think if you really had that epiphany in your life, then you do those things. You understand who God is, and you bow down before him, and you worship him. Fourthly, let me ask you this. Do you present your treasures to him? Again, if you've had that epiphany in your life, you present your treasures to God because you understand who he is. And I'm not talking about money. Don't be thinking, oh, the pastor's asking for money. That's not what I'm asking for. Because you could, again, you can give money and it doesn't really affect your heart, right? You can give all the money in the world to the church and it's not going to make a difference in your heart. And what I mean by that is you need to give from the heart, not in, you know, in substitution for your heart. So I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about your heart. What is the most important, what's most important to you? Again, the Magi gave from their treasures. And each and every one of us who calls Jesus Lord, we need to give from our treasures. Our treasures are, and the most important treasure that we have is ourself. Have you given your full self to the Lord? Like, I'm the Lord's. Whatever he wants to do in my life, I will do. Have you given yourself to the Lord? Have you given your time to the Lord and your talents to the Lord? And think about how can you glorify God in the things that you do in your life? We talked a little bit about this last week. I'm going to give you one. Well, one of the ways that we can glorify God is just walking in obedience following what he says to us. And that just takes, it's just over time, you know, it's a, it's a gradual thing, and it goes on forever in our life. There's a book by Eugene Patterson. I haven't read it, but I like the title. It's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Just like a daily grind of walking slowly with the Lord, one step in front of the other, in obedience. That's the way that we can 
give ourselves to the Lord. And just being a walking and talking testimony in our life of the Lord to other people. That's how we present our treasures. And let me end with this final exhortation. So again, these four things. How do we respond to this epiphany? Again, you should. the Lord should become your primary pursuit and focus in life. You rejoice in his presence. You revere and worship him. And you present your treasures to him. And like I said, let me end with this final exhortation. The Magi did all this. You see this. And then what did they do? It says that they left. They did this. The Lord warned them to go a different way. They didn't go back to Herod, but they, but they left. And we aren't told anything more about them. Now, they could have left and followed after God the rest of their life, or they could have left after doing this, and that was all that they did. But we're not told. It was just a one-time act of worship. And they went back to their old ways. If that's what they did, if they just came and did all these things and they went back to their old ways, then I would say that this epiphany, didn't tru- they didn't truly understand who Jesus was and what they were to do in response to him. Likewise, we can do the same thing. We give to the Lord one time, so to speak. Like, I just give the Lord an hour and a half, sometimes two, on Sunday. And then I go back to my old life. Now, you could even do that in service. You know, you could, just because you guys are visible, I'm not picking on you. The worship team, you know. They could do this one-time offer to the Lord, but then Monday through Thursday, Saturday, there's nothing. Did it really take hold? Is there really a transformation in our hearts? Even with me, I could do this one thing on Sunday and then, you know, live like who knows what and you know what. Monday through Saturday. My wife would kill me, but I could. You guys don't know. Only I know my heart. Again, the Magi, we're not told what they did. They did this one-time thing, and then they left. And so the, the exhortation to you this morning is don't let this epiphany, if you've had it, be a one-time thing and that's it. Pursue after the Lord in these areas. Again, give them your heart. If you haven't done those things, and I would say you truly don't understand who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And you're in danger of not truly knowing who Jesus is. Jesus gives us a great warning in Matthew chapter 7. I'll read this verse. And I want each and every one of us to think about this. Think as if Jesus is talking to you. Because again, only you know your heart. You and the Lord know your heart. Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. So here's some people calling him Lord. In their life, verbally expressing Lord. And Jesus says, Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Oh, but I thought if I say that Jesus is Lord, that I get into heaven. Well, you confess it with your mouth, but you need to believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. And so that's the issue here. So again, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who has done the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. It's not that you do it that gets you into heaven, but your actions prove your belief. Right? They prove and demonstrate your belief. Verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons. 
and in your name perform miracles. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So think of this, because I don't think anybody's in here has exercised demons, right? Or prophesied. Maybe you have. But let's just say this. You're like, Lord, didn't I work in Sunday school? Didn't I do security ministry? Didn't I play on the worship team? Didn't I videotape, do sound, set up outside, put the donuts up for you? And what does he say? Depart from me. I didn't really know you. You just did a bunch of things, but you didn't truly believe that I was Lord. And I wasn't your Lord and your God. That is a scary warning if you think about it. And again, I say this as an exhortation, as a warning for each and every one of us. If we've had this epiphany of who God was, then it should manifest itself in the way that we live for him because we understand who he is. And he is your Lord and he is your God. And so, again, I I exhort you this morning, if you've had an epiphany of like a realization of who God is, then I would say pursue after it. Let it transform your life. Give him your entire self, not just a few hours a week. Let's pray. Lord God, I'm so thankful for your word that it gives us these warnings. And you give warnings because you love us, Lord. Not because you're this mean, angry God up in heaven. No, but because you love us. And you desire that all men shall come to repentance. And so I pray this morning, Lord, that if there's anybody in this room who has not said to you, my Lord and my God, who's not had that epiphany, Lord, that you would cause them to truly understand who you are and you would cause them to truly give their hearts to you, their time and their talents to you because they understand who you are and what you've done for them. So I pray that they would do that this morning. For the rest of us, Lord, I I pray that we would just, again, we first of all just praise you for revealing yourself to us, for calling us to yourself and giving us the understanding to follow after you. We might not do it perfectly, Lord. As a matter of fact, we don't do it perfectly, but we do it with all sincerity, with our heart. We give you our time and our talents and even our treasures for your glory. And we ask that you would be glorified in all that we do and all that we say. Help us to live for you this week. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.